Hello and welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Stephen Craig and Parker Doman. Uh, excellent. One more time, we got it right. Yeah, got it right again. <laughs> well, so uh, this week, um, been working a bit more on uh, customer jigs. Uh, it's been kind of a three week slog for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, well, it's, it's just been really uh, hectic with uh, getting it, but I finished it. It's on order. Uh, and I'm I'm done with that portion of the jig. Yeah. Next comes coding, but that that's I'm not kicking that up right now. Yeah, and then uh, in we've been working more on that FX dev board. Yep. Yeah. So the FX dev board kind of was a little bit on hold for uh, some customer stuff, but now we're kicking that back up, uh, getting the project moving forward, um, getting in contact with our videographer. Uh, yep. Gonna get some videos going for it uh, coming up here soon. Uh, and there's actually one video that you made on Twitter. Of you playing the guitar, and I think we've talked about that before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was when we were talking about the little uh, discrete op amp I built. Yep. The diode clamp or? Uh, diode compression diode is compressor. what it was called. Yep. Yeah. And then uh, we're going to be crowd supplying this uh, this uh, FX dev board, right? Yep, that's that's the goal at the moment. We've been in contact with crowd supply, and they seem to be excited about the project. And uh, we've... We've submitted, and now it's just a matter of getting all the ducks in a row for uh, moving forward on it. Cool. Yeah, I can't wait till... I think we need to get a, a prototype enclosure done. I think it's like the last prototype thing we need to do. Yeah, yeah, because we have a full working board. We just need the box that goes yeah, in. box that goes in. Mm-hmm. So uh, what you been doing, Parker? And I've been I've been working on that, uh, kicking the super... Uh, su- yeah. Excuse me. <laughs> Super simple power supply. SSPS. Yeah, SSPS. Been kicking that back up. Um, basically doing all the mechanical layout for the uh, front panel. That's okay. my job. Yeah. Making sure all we have enough uh, buttons, knobs, uh, readouts. Making sure like where the uh, banana posts, the binding posts go. Yeah. Make sure we have enough clearance for those. Enough clearance for the power switch. All that crazy stuff. So what I'm doing now is making sure the mechanical stuff is good, making sure everything lines up on the same Z plane. Yeah. And so it's all nice and flat. And so I'm actually designing um, spacers so that all the LEDs and all the modules and stuff that go onto the board end up at 10 millimeters high, which is how thick our aluminum plate is. Wait, are you talking about spacers for underneath components? Yeah, underneath components. And so you will put the spacer down, the part on top, then solder. It's a lot of attention to de- detail there. Yeah, because a lot of these parts are like, they all vary in heights. Yeah. Like the 16-segment uh, LED displays are 8.6 millimeters in height, mm-hmm. and then the individual LEDs are like uh, 6.9 millimeters. So there's a difference in height. So you don't want to make those at least even by themselves, but then just make them all flush with the front panel is going to be... I think it'll make it look nicer. So then all said and done, you're going to have to have standoffs for the front panel that sets the master Z, I guess. Yes. Okay, cool. Yeah. So not, did, did you did you start by finding out what the tallest component is? Oh, well, I started, yeah, basically I started with the tallest component, which is right now the uh, um, the 16 segment displays. Okay. And, and I decided basically to make those flush okay. with the front of the panel. And so the panel's 10 millimeters thick. Yeah, you have to account for its thickness. Its thickness. And so it's going to be 10 millimeters plus a millimeter because this, I'm going to use a one millimeter uh, fiber washer to isolate the the uh, PCB from the aluminum front panel. Okay. So it's not resting right on it. Yeah. 
and then so you got 11 millimeters and so everything is going to be based off that everything okay. needs to be at the end 11 millimeters off the board and so everything will be nice and lined up cool and i found some uh these really cool switches from uh omron uh and they're they're 10 millimeters by 10 millimeters rectangular and they're they light up they have a red led and a green led in them and the cap snaps off and so you can put your own uh like transparency in it yeah and so you can print up basically your own uh markings for your switches yeah which is gonna be really cool because we're gonna have a lot of different buttons on this thing but i'm really excited about the fact that you got two colors of rg of uh leds in there right and so we can make orange red and green shades basically right and uh we actually got some samples of those switches in today. Uh, today, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, the only thing I wish it ha- was better at would have would have like another millimeter travel. Mm-hmm. That's like one of those. It feels really good, and then it just stops. And it's one of those. Ugh. Yeah, just a little bit more. A little more travel, but it's a good switch, and it's it's and, one and, of the, and it has a little bit of an audible click, which is slightly just yeah. enough. But what I was going to do is basically the the switches are going to be slightly orange mm-hmm. and glow. Uh, uh, for normal use, and then when you press the button, and if there was a valid button press, the red LED will turn off, and so the button will turn green. Okay. So that was a valid button press, but if it turns red, it was an invalid button press. And so it lets you know from just punching stuff in if you're doing something correct or incorrect. Cool. Yeah, I was, I was actually telling Parker, these uh, the buttons remind me of the buttons you see in the Apollo... Gemini module, yeah, uh, they're, they're like pretty close. What, like from uh, Apollo thirteen, like the yeah. like all the the chiclet style, yeah, yeah, plastic caps. They're a little bit smaller than than those, right? Um, I think the real ones are like an inch and an inch. Yeah, they're big square because you have to use them through astronaut gloves, right? Um, these are they're pretty tiny, ten millimeter, ten millimeter, and then the, uh, we're going to put two encoders on the front, one for uh, um fine control and one for course control mm-hmm. we could just do acceleration but and eh, we have space on the front just put two knobs i like it that way yeah so these really cool uh encoders from borns they're basically rgb encoders so they're two-bit encoders so there's not a lot of crazy resolution yeah. for it but it doesn't matter we just need to know if we clicked one way or the other way right but the rgb it's got an rgb led in it and a clear shaft and so you can change whatever color the shaft is. That's cool. Um, I don't know exactly what I'm going to use to indicate that, but they're also not that expensive. And so I was just like, eh, just use these. I, you have one more level Thing of we can change colors on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. What, what else is going on in the front panel? Uh, and then the control. I mean, there's a lot of LEDs. Yeah. I mean, you got to think is we have five digits per display okay. that have 16 segments. Okay times four of those okay so that's just to display numbers <laughs> right 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 yeah um and so i was looking at i was going to just use like 74hc 595s to just basically make the all the leds just a serial blast out of the prop sure but then i stumbled across these uh yesterday um from sd microcontrollers they make these 16-bit constant current led driver sinks hmm. and they're they're slightly more pricey than a uh, Sen4 HC595, but not by much. Okay. And they're they're 16-bit, so you can drive double the amount with for a 595 can. Okay. 595 is 8 bits. Yeah. 
And I think they're uh, ST, STP 16C something. P05? P05, there it is. Yep. Yeah. Um, and they can do 100 milliamp hour, uh, uh, milliamps per channel. Per all 16 or no, per, per each? One, per each. Wow. Okay, so you can do what? what that'd be 1.6 amps total through them. Wait, you can do that constant through it? Constant through it. Does this thing have a giant heatsink pad on it? So it's got a couple different packages. Okay. Um, there's like a QSOP 24 and a you know a couple other ones. I was going to use the uh, the uh, TSOP 24. Yeah. Because it actually has a thermal pad underneath it. Yeah. And so I can sync that to the board. But but you're not driving 100 milliamps per LED. No, I, each uh, LED max is 20 milliamps that I'm I'm pulling. Are you going to do somewhere between 10 and 20? Uh, I think so, yeah. Or set it right at 20 and just go for it. <laughs> well, um, the 20 milliamps for the, those are the uh, 16 segments, which are the brightest ones. Yeah. And they pull the most amount of power. Those are going to be, um, that's actually right in the middle range for their, their power consumption that you can set them to. Oh, okay. You can set them to 10 to 30. Gotcha. Is their range. So I was going to set to 20 and okay. say that's good. So if all the LEDs were illuminated, this panel would pull... What one or two amps? More than that. More than that. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think just the displays alone, it will be pulling about just the number displays. Yeah, will pull two amps. Wow. Yeah, I like how the super simple power supply keeps getting unsimple. Yeah, unsimple. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, and then I've been looking at. I hadn't figured out what USB mounts I want to put on the front. Okay. So I want a more of an industrial style connection because it's on the front and it will get yanked on and stuff. So I was like, well, USB-B is usually what you use for that. But then I'm like, well, I really want to keep with the, you know, a modern standard. Because B is really old. Yeah. It's still a standard, though. USB 2.0B is still normal. You yeah. still find it on printers. Still being made today. I, I think, actually, our Rigol power supply has that. Yes. Yeah. On the back. Uh-huh. Um, but this is going to be on the front. But the... Uh, uh, so I was looking at Type-C's. So I can get a Type C that would be panel mount on the front. Okay. And it's uh, it's actually IPC uh, I, uh, yeah IPC sixty seven. Okay, so splashes. Yeah, splash da- all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it, it can handle all that? So it's nothing crazy there. The only thing is I haven't figured out how to go from Type C USB to UART yet, which is what the prop talks. Oh yeah. Eight and yeah. one UART like a FT two thirty X. FTDI chip. Right. So I haven't figured that part out yet. Because FTDI doesn't have a UART chip for USB 3.0 Type-C yet. I don't think anyone does yet. Hmm. I did find um, TI makes a... Uh, just just spin your own micro and, oh, yeah, and have sure. it do that. <laughs> I'll write that USB stack right up in a day. <laughs> um, they've got one that's the TPS65982. It looks viable. I haven't done too much deep into its uh, data sheet yet. That's made by TI? Yeah. Okay. But it does hit USB 3.0, Type-C, has UART that looks like it'll work. Okay. And they have an e-valve board that's only 30 bucks. Wow. So I'm like, I actually ordered it today. So it should be here on Monday. I can test that out, see if I can make that talk to the prop. And if I can, then I will use Type-C on the front panel. Okay. So awesome. Yeah, it sounds like you kind of have to dig through the data sheet and really read through it. Does it actually work as a COM port? What, what, what is the chip labeled as? 
It's labeled as a Type C uh, port controller and power distribution chip. Well, that sounds like it. It does just from everything. the name. It's like it does everything for Type it, it, C. <laughs> USB Type C kitchen sink. Yes. So the interesting thing is, can I make this work with uh, make it work as UART without the prop having to talk to it? Because there's a lot of signals oh. that you can configure it from the from the uh, microcontroller side. Yeah. And so I got to figure out is, will this work either out of the box as a UART controller, or do I have to configure it through some kind of configuration tool like FTProg to make it work like that? Right. But we'll find out on Monday. Okay. Sounds cool. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Learning a lot about Type-C. Because that, that's interesting about Type-C is I've been trying to find for that uh, Type-C soldering iron I want to build. Yeah. 100-watt USB soldering iron. <laughs> yeah. There are no reference designs I found yet for a 100-watt power supply for Type-C. Or a 100-watt, like, uh, device. I, I, has anyone even come up with an application for that yet? Yeah, no, there's no application notes for that yet. So it's like, how do you even... I guess you can design it from scratch, but like, how much time and effort are you going to do into like failed boards to make that work right? Well, someone will. Someone will. So, so what I'm curious about, I honestly haven't spent a lot of time looking at the pinout of a Type-C connector. To pass, what was it, 20 volts at 5 amps? Yeah. You have to have a pin that can handle 5 no, amps. No, it's multiple pins. Oh, it is? Okay. Yeah. How many power pins? I don't remember. Okay. But it is quite a bit. So they share the load. Yeah, share I, the load. I thought, I thought it might be like the old ones where just this one little tiny pin is dumping five amps. Uh, yeah, not that wouldn't 28 work very gauge well. wire. Yeah, right. No, that's not going to work well. Mm-mm. No. Um, I think this uh, TPS chip will work for that too. I just got to do a lot more research on how to make that work. Cypress is the only uh, company I've seen that had an application note for something that actually pulled quite a bit amount of power. Mm-hmm. And it was for an 18-watt device. Okay. And it was actually running at 9 volts, 2 amps. Because you can change the voltage. What was the device? I don't remember. Okay. I think it was just like the front end. So if you need nine, if you need 18 watts at 9 volts, this is how you get it kind of thing. Wow. Yeah, interesting stuff. I think it's just really new and... It's taken a while for cus- uh, customers and companies to come up with products and use cases and stuff. Well, yeah, you, you're going to have your first adopters and, and the guys who find it really cool. They're, they're going to start doing things, uh, and people will catch on. And then before you know it, there will be reference designs on um, on Instructables on how to make a 100-watt power supply for a Type-C. That plugs into your phone. Yeah, right. Or a uh, Type-C Arduino. Uh, a Seedwino? Seedwino. <laughs> USB 3.0 Seedwino. You heard it here f- first, guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay. RFO? On, yeah, RFO section. Uh, on Monday, we found a really interesting issue with a data sheet. Yeah. Data sheet inconsistencies. So if you s- Google search, so this is a light on 0805 red LED. Okay. Stock, basic stuff. Part number is LTST-C171CKT. Yep. Okay, it's a really common LED. We use it a lot. It's actually one of our house parts here mm-hmm. at Macrofab. Um, Google that part number, 
And if you pull a couple of the data sheets that are on the front page, there are two different data sheets right. for this part that have the same data sheet number. Same revision. Same revision. Well, it doesn't say revision, but it's got like a number at the bottom. bottom of, so you assume it's yeah, probably data sheet revision. Sort of the revision. same thing, yeah, yeah. But so it's got the same numbers. They look slightly different, though. Okay. But in the, the only difference is in the top drawing for both these... One of them is anode, anode marked, and the other one's cathode marked. Ouch. Yeah. So you have no idea. It's not like there's a, like a data sheet revision number difference or like this affects these lot numbers. There's none of that. It just, it just says here's in this data sheet, the anode is this point, and yep. the other one is cathode. That's terrible. Terrible. That is terrible. Yeah. Uh, I actually will link the the data sheets in the in the in the podcast description, but uh, yeah, it's amazing how this discrepancy is around, especially when you Google this part number. And so, if you, I think Mauser and Digikey have the correct ones. At least they have the ones that match our parts. So well, we actually and, went and, and tested and, our parts. Well, that's just the thing. We've been putting these parts on boards for a long time. Yeah, we know they're cathode marked. Yeah, we know they're cathode marked, and they've been cathode marked for two years now. We know they're cathode marked. As all LEDs should be. Yeah, as all LEDs should be. All diodes should be. Yes. All. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, no idea what's going on with that part. That's so be, be wary of of, of data sheets. <laughs> that's crazy. Um, at least where you buy this part, the data sheets are correct. It makes you wonder how. Okay, so the the I've I've seen both data sheets. It's not like the one that says anode mark was a mistake. It was a clear. It was they made the decision to do that. Yes. Uh, I mean it's 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 not like a changing of just lettering. Literally, the drawing is different. Different. Uh, so so some engineer had to do that. Uh, yeah. So it, there's got to be a reason behind it. Yep. Well, I think it's just a bunch of BS. So. That's what it turned out to be. Yeah, that's what it turned out to be. I think Lighton needs to sort their ducks in a row, basically. So I think Lighton needs to come on as a guest and uh, apologize <laughs> to us. Apologize publicly <laughs> <laughs> for wasting five minutes of our day trying to figure <laughs> out what's going on. Oh, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> so hey, have you heard um, about the uh, the new Atmel news about uh, Atmel removing? Uh, some support for their uh, oscillators in their uh, mega chips. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, you know when when um, first initializing a chip or or programming it, you have to select your fuses and you select yeah, all your uh, your configuration bits. Yeah, for atmels. Yeah, yeah, for atmels. Right. Um, and 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 for the uh, the megas, including the mega used on the on the Arduino Unos, uh, they had two options for crystal oscillators. They had a, they had a high power and a low power. Uh, the the low power was was generally used for for low speed stuff, and the high power was a really high current, robust, just beefcake version yeah. that could. Uh, it was it was basically meant to handle weird offset loads and high speeds. Uh, and in fact, I think the the data sheet calls out uh, sixteen megahertz max, but people could can you know push them up to twenty megahertz without much of a problem. So. Atmel decides to get rid of the high current oscillator. Uh, it's no longer included on the dies. Huh. Um, so they actually changed their tooling. Yeah. 
completely, completely removing it. Um, what and if so, that was a microchip decision? You know what? It could be. That, that would be weird, though. It, I mean, how weird would it be if, if Microchip buys Atmel and then makes this decision and bricks a whole bunch of, uh, well, I, I say, quote, bricks, because it's yeah. easy to change, but, but it's still something where if you don't know what's going on, you'll scratch your head. Yeah. And if you don't have a scope, you're not going to know yeah, much I, about it not oscillating. Exactly. Yeah, so it's, uh, I don't know, it's weird. So, so they replaced the high-current oscillator uh, with a more robust low-current. So... Overall, it's it's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, the the one oscillator is now more robust and can handle up to sixteen megahertz. I'm not sure how it would handle overclocking, but I do you really need to overclock an Arduino? Well, it's, there's that, and um, a lot of a lot of people use AVRs on breadboards where you have parasitic capacitance on your clock lines. Yeah, where a couple picofarads here and there makes a difference. Makes a difference. Yeah. Um, cause I I ran into that issue with uh. The uh, parallax propeller sometimes. Really? Back when I first started. Just just throwing a jelly bean ceramic cap in there. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. It's a. What do you think about that? What's what's your thoughts on that? I, I think it's interesting that they're changing all their tooling for the mega. Yeah. I think that's what's. I guess I don't really have an opinion on the uh, actual because I don't do a lot of breadboarding and stuff, and I actually calculate my load capacitors for my crystals. Ooh, elitist here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't just throw in random caps in. But uh, so I, I wouldn't have a problem with that. But I just find it interesting that after Microchip buys bought them, that they're changing like the tooling for like a chip that's been around for twelve years. Yeah, fifteen it, years. Yeah, it's Something it's like that. it's interesting. I wonder if Arduino's going to go in and rewrite some of their uh, some of their libraries and things that reference that. Yeah, I wonder if they have to change their uh, if you have to change your. Um, fuse settings if, it, if they're actually changing all that too you have, I don't to, know. You have to use a different fuse bit hmm well uh actually you know it's funny atmel actually came out saying you can still purchase the old version uh and kind of left it at that i'm sure you know if you want to order a million of them you can order the old version yeah well it's probably they'll have they'll do like one last run yeah and then just keep them on the shelf until they get used up in like five years yeah probably something like that and hopefully there's enough well maybe atmel maybe maybe atmel won't exist anymore by then but it makes you wonder at the same time if they're making changes on that are they making changes on anything else yeah i i, I still want to see like an avr core with microchip peripherals still that would be cool yeah because microchip still i think has better peripherals than avrs but avrs uh they're in they have better um uh, basically, uh, instructions per clocks for most instructions yeah. are better on AVR8s. Yeah. We'll see, though. It seems like the 8-bit dynasty is starting to die off slowly. Yeah, it's kind of inevitable in a way. Yeah. Everyone's going to 32-bit ARM, even, you know, because you can get a 32-bit ARM pretty inexpensive, like, what, a Cortex-M0 for, like, 20 cents or 30 cents? So. Yeah. Well, you know what? Honestly, I don't think the 8-bit realm is ever going to just die off because it's so useful and it's so simple yeah and it's quick to turn around for a design such that if you need i don't know a port controller or if you need something to just turn on a switch or something like that i'm i don't want to go through the headache of looking through you know a bible's 
thickness and worth of what, data sheets. Which register you need to hit? <laughs> yeah, right. I'll just give me a, a simple little pick chip, and I can do it in an afternoon kind yeah. of thing. So yeah, I think the eight bits are going to stick around for a while, but yeah. probably not as big as they've been. Yeah, not as big. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would agree there. Yeah. I think the more interesting thing would be how long does the pick thirty two hang around for? I guess until whenever does microchip even have any ARM stuff? No, they don't. No. I think that's why they bought Atmel, right? Probably. I mean, they're, they're probably looking at, at which which direction they can go because, in in general, I mean, uh, if, I, I read something that that more professional designers choose pick than anyone else, so they kind of don't have a direction to go uh, in terms of growth in that yep. portion. So I guess they're just trying to do parallel shifts. Yeah. Well, it'd be interesting to see what happens to the Atmel microchip situation in the next couple years. Yeah. But yeah. And then. Uh, I saw this uh, really cool thread on the uh, ECE subreddit mm-hmm. this week, and it was, uh, what makes someone a bad engineer? Ooh. So I thought this would be a good topic to talk about. <laughs> um, Why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> <laughs> um, personally, I was reading through the comments, and my favorite one was, uh, what makes a bad engineer? Fucking around on Reddit instead of getting their shit done. <laughs> that was my favorite. <laughs> if that could be a sticky at yeah. the top, that would be that, that would like, be perfect. On the top of the ECE subreddit is it says that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, um, a little more serious though is um, I think if you uh, the big thing about engineering is is uh, not fall if you don't follow best practices and uh ethics kind of stuff that's what my opinion makes a bad engineer Mm -hmm. is if you don't take that stuff into consideration with your design and that kind of stuff um like like the ethics of uh are you talking about cutting corners cutting corners that kind of stuff yeah okay but like safety concerns oh yeah oh yeah we don't need that poly fuse who cares if uh you plug in this device and it shorts out and takes entire you know computer with it <laughs> or or you know uh, so something shorts out and puts puts mains voltage right on the chassis yeah yeah th- things of that sort that kind of stuff um a lot of uh cheap usb chargers do this where basically you get line voltage on like the shield <laughs> yeah um that can happen really easily with a lot of these cheap usb chargers yep uh there was um Actually, an Arduino device that they specced tantalum cap uh, capacitors with their... I think it was, like, on a 5-volt rail. They were putting, like, a 6-volt rated tantalum. And it's like, you'd be pushing really close at 6-volt mark. Um, yeah, any spikes in your... Yeah, any spikes, and you're gone. And there's potential fire. Yeah, potential fire. Yeah. Uh, stuff like that. That's what gets me the most, I think. Well, and, and okay, so so actually, interesting, ethics involved with that, and this could be a huge topic, but but I think even going further, a good engineer on the other side would be one that if he found something like that, he wouldn't stay quiet about it. Yes. Uh, he'd bring that up and, and raise the red flag. Yep. Wow. That goes back to the uh, special disaster. The oh, yeah. The booster rockets, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's actually one of the things they bring up in uh, when, you, when you're an engineer in trainee i.e. in college yeah um you, t- you usually take an ethics class mm-hmm. and they act that's actually one of the textbook ones they bring up so yeah we, that's, we, that's up there we, we had one uh, uh at a and m our um, 
it was about a, a building in New York that uh, was rated to withstand a certain amount of storms and and some student calculated that once every hundred years there was actually a will uh, statistically be a storm that is large enough to actually physically blow the building down uh and he wrote a personal letter to uh the civil engineer who was in charge of that that building yeah uh and it was a huge ethical ethical thing because there was only two people in the world who knew that information yeah, yeah. that the building uh, statistically, given enough time, will fall, fall down. down. Uh, so he had to make a decision there. So, did you know what they did? Yeah, he. Uh, they actually bit the bullet. They stripped off the entire side of the uh, of the building and they reinforced it. They they paid the cash. I guess he, they could have because uh, was it Superstorm Sandy? Was was that last year? Yeah, yeah. Because that would have been that storm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it very well could have been, and and apparently it's it's. It's withstood things, but it's a textbook example now where a, a college student did the math and proved the, yeah. the principal engineer wrong. <laughs> Just check the math. Yep. Well, it's always good to check your math because sometimes you will fat finger your TI-83. So, You, you know, um, one, one thing that I personally think potentially makes a bad engineer is an engineer that is unwilling to admit his own mistakes mm-hmm. and an, an engineer who is unwilling to learn. Yeah, uh, I agree there. That's. I think engineers should always be furthering themselves and and on a quest to, I guess, consume more information and just learn more. And, and it's not that if you if you don't do that with every moment of your day, you're a bad engineer. I'm just saying we should always be furthering ourselves. Yeah. A, a good engineer will say, "I don't know. I'm going to figure it out, though." Right. The, the sentence doesn't end with "I don't know." No, it's correct. Right. Because I don't know is an okay you know answer to give right but a best the best answer is but i will find out yeah yeah exactly so that's that's the furthering your education if there's anything that, that you learn in college i mean honestly college and, and engineering in college is just teaching you how to find where the answer is yeah i uh, just you learn how to be resourceful yeah exactly i think that's that's about 50 percent of college oh yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> uh <laughs> but yeah I'll put the link to that 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 thread in in the post because and y'all should give it a read. It's pretty interesting what people come up with. Yeah, it's pretty funny. <laughs> and then uh, for the last RFO, um, it's kind of not really an opinion thing, but it's kind of this kind of spurred some uh, project ideas from us. Yeah, uh, yeah. There was this really cool video of a basically someone turning on a high powered, high current uh, power line transformer. Yeah, and how much noise it makes when the inrush current kicks in. Um, so we're going to play the clip. Yes, what do you think of that? I, that's that's absolutely awesome. It's a <laughs> that looks like a sixteen thousand volt transformer. Yeah, uh, and and they probably just did it from. Did nothing and just nothing, hammered yeah. the load on there. Yeah. <laughs> that is that is super cool. You can cool. just hear the thing. It's, it's vibrating at like what probably uh, it's going to be 120 hertz, right? Double double the frequency. No, no, it would be it would be 60. Uh, sure. 120 would be if it re- was rectified. Oh, okay. So that, yeah, that's although it it does sound like the so the the pitch actually changes, mm-hmm. and I bet you there's some kind of strange phase shifting that's happening there that's actually changing the pitch. Or it's just or it's actually vibrating the chassis. Yeah, that could be it too. Yeah. It's actually yeah. hitting close to the 
the frequency of the chassis. The resonance. Yeah. You think they would design that chassis to not be at that resonance though? So I I did a uh, a um, an internship for a power company during college, and uh, I I worked a lot with transformers like that. Those transformers are designed just to be really big and heavy and beefy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I don't think they really care too much about that. Yeah. But yeah, so th- we had we were talking about this this cool sound because it sounds a lot like in Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, my the my favorite sound effect is when. Obi Wan turns off the tractor beam. That sound of that's my yeah. favorite sound of all <laughs> of all time. And uh, and then you brought up they, it's a similar sound when they when they mount, go when they go to fire the the Death Star. Death Star laser, yeah. And the, the little guy with the weird funky hat pulls the little lever back. Yeah, they, yeah, it goes yeah. the opposite way. It's yeah. almost the same effect though. <laughs> um, it's probably the same thing, but just played in reverse. reverse. Yeah, um, and. Yeah, why don't you explain the thing you want to build? So, so I want to I want to build a lever, a, a button. I'm not sure yet. What, I think but he's pro- the lever. Probably a lever because because they're both. Well, the Obi Wan scene, he had to like spin things and like yeah. press codes and do all. His was like the Rubik's cube Star Wars version. Yeah. Uh, but but I want to build kind of a lever that just. I think it's just going to make that sound effect. <laughs> <laughs> but you only pull that lever when you complete a project or something of that sort. <laughs> Such that if you hear it, everyone's like, oh, man, engineering can finish something. I was thinking it'd be like the power switch for the engineering at the new building. Oh, that'd be awesome. Go, it goes, doo. No, it goes, doo. And then when you leave, <laughs> doo. <laughs> it's kind of like the uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the doors. Yeah, yeah, When they yeah. walk by, it's like, ah. Oh. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. But yeah, uh, yeah. Give give a listen to that sound effect, and I'll I'll link um, the tra- the uh, tractor beam two sound effect. Yeah, they're very similar. I guess I guess they did re- all recordings on pretty much real life things and modified it. Probably, yeah. I, yeah. I doubt they'd have. I don't know. Maybe they had. Yeah, no. It was probably all real life yeah. stuff. Well, there's a really cool video on one of the more most complicated uh, sound effects that they have in Star Wars. Yeah, and it's the uh, the Millennium, hyper, Falcon. Millennium Falcon's hyperdrive failure sound. Right, that. Yeah, everyone knows that. Yeah, everyone knows that sound. It's but it's like it's like six different sources combined together and mixed. Yeah, um, one of them was a uh, a prop from an airplane. Yeah, actually, it was either turning on or turning off. Turning on, turning it was on, the, but uh, solenoid kicking in and starting up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I think they played it in reverse or something. And then I, I think they just, what, they took six or seven and they just stacked them on top of each other yeah. and played that. And then it's got, like, uh, um, uh, clunky noises and stuff like that they mixed in. Yeah. Um, that, that's my second favorite sound effect. <laughs> <laughs> Parker's list of favorite Star Wars yeah. sound effects. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, that's uh, going to do it for this week. Uh, for the uh, Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We're your host, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. Catch you later. Take it easy.